0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So, just a quick review of where we have been. We started a new sermon series last week. It's a four-week series um, called The Gospel Made Visible. Uh, and what we are doing is we are looking at... Let me, let me pause there because Elena wanted me to share one thing. No, no. I want, Did you fix it? It fixed itself. We were having major slide issues it fixed itself. Let's give Elena and the computer a hand. This is very exciting. I feel tingly. Thank you, Elena. All right, we're talking about the macro story of Scripture, um, and which really is like the story of humanity, which really is the story of God as it relates to man. And so we're talking about the four movements of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Um, But specifically, we're looking at this idea of spiritual family and how there's these intersecting points of spiritual family with creation and spiritual family with the fall and spiritual family with redemption, spiritual family and restoration that that really evokes some core questions. And so in this four-week sermon series, these are the four questions that we're asking. We hit the first one last week. First, with creation, why do I have such a deep longing for spiritual family. So we talked through that last week with the fall, which we'll do today. Why do I find it so hard to give myself to spiritual family? Next week with redemption, we'll talk about why do I feel most alive when I'm in a healthy spiritual family? And with restoration, why do I want other people to experience spiritual family as well? Um, So before we begin, we did this last week again. I know some folks are new this week. We want to make sure that we start on the same page. I'm going to use the phrase spiritual family a lot. That might mean something to you that means something different to me. So let me just share with you what it is in the way that I mean spiritual family. This is how I'm meaning it. A group of people the size of an extended family, some of whom are related by blood and some not, who choose to share life together as they center all of their life around following Jesus. So an extended family, so we're thinking like 20, 30, 40, 50 people, Um, oftentimes we think of a uh, extended family, we're thinking brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, parents, grandparents, cousins, um, some of some whom are related, some who are not related, but we have chosen together to go on a common journey together. And that journey is to center our life as individuals around Jesus and collectively together around following Jesus. Um, so, what I want to do is invite you to stand for the reading of the word. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1. If you're physically able, if you'll stand with me tonight. We're going to read a passage that we read again last week, and we're going to read it tonight. So Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. So Lord, we thank you that you are a God who did not watch us from afar, uh, but got into our mess. We Thank you that you put on flesh and blood and that you did move into the neighborhood. So Lord, we ask that you would be that present with us tonight. We ask that your word would speak clearly, that we would walk away with with a firm and visceral sense of what it is that you have done and that you are still doing now. But I do pray that wherever we find ourselves tonight, uh, that you would meet us in that place and that you would take us to a place where we would be open to whatever it is that you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we looked at this picture, um, this passage, and w- what it is that we're constantly trying to do as people is trying to understand like the deepest meanings of life and why it is that we exist and what it is that God is up to but we're trying to do that in a way that like we can really get more than just like our mind around it. We want to we want our whole being to understand what it is that God is up to. And this is not a new thing. For thousands of years people have been trying to do this. So last year no, last year, last week, we talked about how um, for thousands of years ago, there are these Jewish teachers called rabbis who are trying to find metaphors or analogies to help us understand this passage of scripture. So we talked about how they, when they read Genesis chapter 2, when they, when they talked about how God picked up the dirt... And he turned it into clay, and he formed Adam, and then he formed Eve out of that. As he, as he released his hand from this creation, they talked about how there was almost like a spiritual imprint that was left on creation. And the way that we as humans were meant to exist is that the hand of the creator that left that imprint would always fill the imprint. There would be such a deep connection with our Father in heaven that his hand would always be that close to our creation, to His creation. Now, th- that's how the Jewish people try to understand it. There's a whole other world of people that were trying to understand this too, um, and so you have a, a what's called the Greco-Roman world that is trying to make sense of what it is that this passage means as well. And so in this passage here where it says God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, the word that is used there um, for, for humanity is that we are the image bearers. Makes sense. Like there, there's, there's God, we're made in his image, so what are we? We're the image bearers. And the Greek word for that is the word, and I promise I'm not going to nerd on this for too long, is the word icon. But it's not like the way that we understand it, like where it's a picture that represents something but it is that, but it's the word icon, E-I-K-O-N, and it means this, image reflector. So when when you were created, what you were created to do, as, as one who was made in the image of your creator, is that you would reflect God's image to everyone who looked at you. In other words, what you are is a walking mirror. That is what you are. So if you, if you want to go to the next slide, this is what I look like as an image reflector. If I were to pull up my, my sleeve just a little and to flex, this is what my arm looks like. Thank you, Toya. <laughs> we, what, we, what we were created to do, and I know, like, this is the point of an analogy or metaphor. It's not actually a real thing. It's we walk around... And what we're supposed to be is the walking, talking mirrors so that when people see us, they don't see us. They see our Father in heaven. That is what, like, human beings, man, woman, when they are most fully alive, are people who, like, when you see me, you see someone who looks a lot like my creator. Like, that is what I look like when I'm most fully alive. And so we are, we are the, the image reflectors of God who are walking about. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. So we, we have this perfect place where humanity is living and thriving. We have, we have this, this, uh, these two trees that have been planted in the center of the garden and some very specific instructions that the creator has given humanity where he's like, hey, just you can do basically anything except... Don't eat of this one particular tree. There's a conversation that happens between a snake and one of the the, the people who are of the new creation. Um, And things start to unravel very quickly. This is where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed some fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And this is the man's response. The woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. That is not going to be the first time that that happens. So what, 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 in, the, in the Jewish way that they told this story, it was... You have, you have humanity who is connected to the hand of God. They were told not to do this one thing. They were living in perfect harmony with each other, with God, and with creation. And when they took that one bite, they stepped away and the hand was removed. And at that moment, there is this sense of restlessness that immediately entered into all of creation. There was a fracturing that happened but it was, it was understood a little bit differently from a, a group of people who weren't Jewish because the way that they understood humanity, the, the walking talking image reflectors is that here you have this mirror that is reflecting or at least is meant to reflect God but suddenly it's shattered that, what your response is what it was like Like you, at one point, it perfectly showed what the father looked like. And now it is fractured and all of creation from the inside out and from the outside in is broken. Like, and that is the way that we exist right now. We're now the shattered image reflectors. When you see me, who knows what you see? Maybe, it is very possible when you see me, you don't see the father at all. Maybe all you see is my brokenness. And what happens, what happens when you put some shattered image reflectors together? I mean, just look at what Adam and Eve did to each other. Like, Adam's first response is to be like, her, she made me do it. Like, that's his first response. Like, is that the way that God would respond in that situation? Is he reflecting what the Father would do in that situation? Absolutely not. His first response, his guttural response is to point a finger. It's your fault. This is the thing, I mean, like, this is, this is sometimes I think where we get things a little warped, though. Sometimes what we do um, as we try to understand what it is to follow Jesus is that we start the story here in Genesis 3. That isn't where the story starts, though. And where you start the story matters. Because what it it tells us if we start in Genesis 3 is that our, our actual understanding of humanity, the thing that defines us the most is our brokenness. But that is a lie. Like, I might be broken, there might be fractures, but I'm still an image reflector. I just happen to be a broken one. Like within me is still the divine spark. And I am still hardwired for Eden, just as you are. It's just that now I need someone to help me put the pieces back together. Like, what we need is a miraculous craftsman to come and piece by piece put the shards of glass back where they belong. God, this is so huge. God has never given up on Eden. The whole story of the Bible is how God is going to take a people and get them back to Eden. The end of the Bible looks strikingly similar to the beginning. He has never given up on his dream. He has never given up on that picture that he's had of you since he like, before the world was ever created, there was a picture of you, a dream that he had for you in his mind, and he has not given up on it, even though you were fractured and broken. But now he will have to come in flesh and blood and the shattered pieces of glass of our brokenness will pierce his skin and drain the life out of his body so that we can be made whole. It is as if the blood of Jesus itself is the glue that will put creation and you back together again. Last week we asked the question, why do I have such deep longing for spiritual family? And we talked about the answers. It's because you are meant to experience all that God has for you, being connected to him. That hand being firmly put on you while also being connected to others. The way that he helps you experience him is through other people. But here's the thing. The fall changes everything. The way that we experience that changes everything. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on one little piece of the fall And like, how does the fall, how does the earthquake of the fall and the aftershocks of that affect something like spiritual family? Because we have this longing to be in spiritual family, but we are now the shattered image reflectors. And despite that longing, we don't step into the gift that God longs to give us. He's longing to give us Eden and we walk away. And that's what I want to explore tonight. We are hardwired for this. Why don't we give ourselves to this? Um, so we're, we're going to just keep it really simple. The number, the thing I want to hit tonight is the number one reason that people aren't part of spiritual family. The number one reason that people aren't part of spiritual family, and I will preface it with this: We're going to talk about a couple more reasons next week because there are more than one reason. We're going to hit on the top reason, and what I want to do is I want to tell just a series of stories. Um, some of the aftershocks of how the, the earthquake of the fall changes spiritual family for us. So we're going to have some stories from the Bible, and then I'm going to share a couple of like, just personal stories about like, how the aftershocks of the fall affect me and what it looks like for me as someone who longs for spiritual family but has, has suffered the effects of the fall. So let, let's, think about, let's just think about the, the Bible like, as a one like long story of in many ways, like God's rescue mission to put all this brokenness back together. You have Adam and Eve, who are the the first people that are are experiencing the aftershocks of this. And what is Adam's first response? To point a finger and be like, it was her. How do you think that helped their marriage? Like, is that what spiritual family is supposed to look like? They have two sons. Um, and as they grow up, it becomes very clear that one of those sons has this like incredibly special relationship with the Lord, and one of the other sons is this man named Cable Abel. Excuse me, Cain. I combine them: Cain, Abel, Cable. Not a thing. <laughs> he he looks at this relationship that Abel has and is incredibly jealous and it just starts, like the resentment starts to grow, and it starts to burn within him, and one day he takes him out to a field, and he murders him. Is that what spiritual family is supposed to look like? There, a, a couple of chapters later, there's a man named Abraham, and he has a wife named Sarah, and Sarah can't get pregnant, and she feels so completely helpless and just useless in this situation, and she, she, she is thinking to herself, and she's like, I know what I'm going to do. She takes this, this girl that works for her, and it's like, I want you, Hagar, you're going to t- sleep with my husband. Because I'm going to have something to do with this name being carried on. And so you two, hook up, do this thing. And they have a son whose name is Ishmael. And what, what we see is thousands of years from this one decision, thousands of years of, like, infighting between these two families, that has happened. One goes on to be the people of Israel. One goes on to be another family within the Middle East that, like, their whole history is checkered with the way that they cannot get together. And it starts with a wife saying, like, I, like, I will forsake my marriage vows. Is that what spiritual family is supposed to look like? There's a, a couple generations later, there's a, there are 12 brothers. And the 11th born is the father's favorite. And the brothers, after just decades of seeing the way that their father just loves this brother more than them, takes their brother out into the middle of the wilderness. They beat him. They rip the clothes off his body. They kick him into a cistern and decide to sell them to, wait for it, their cousins, the Ishmaelites, who was born from Hagar, from sleeping with Abraham. Is that the way that spiritual family is supposed to function? Anyone want to join that family? There's a man named Eli. He's one of the first priests of Israel. He has two sons. The sons, not good dudes. Eli gets very, very old. His sons keep making poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. And then finally, like they make the worst decision of all. They try to use something that was incredibly sacred called the Ark of the Covenant to win a battle. And this covenant is, the Ark of the Covenant is stolen. Eli hears what has happened, falls onto his neck, and dies. Is that the way that spiritual family should function? There's a man named Saul. Uh, he is the very first king of Israel. He has a son named Jonathan, who is going to be the heir of his throne. Jonathan becomes best friends with one of the great warriors in Israel's history, a man named David. And they make a covenant, compa- a covenant together. We're like, no matter what happens, we will be together. It is unshakable and it is unalterable. And ultimately, it's what gets Jonathan killed. Saul, his dad, becomes very, very jealous of David and for 13 years looks to hunt and kill him and eventually he commits suicide. David becomes king. He has a son named Absalom. When he becomes about 30 years old, Absalom decides, like, I don't really like my dad as king and looks to raise up an army to betray him and he ends up getting killed. Does this sound like a family that you want to be a part of? Let's fast forward about a thousand years. There's a man, his name is Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn son of a woman named Mary who was a virgin, except no one actually believes that Mary was a virgin. So for the entirety of his life, Jesus is made fun of behind his parents' back. There is a particular word that we use for people who are born outside of wedlock. That is what he would have been called his entire life. Do you know who else called him that? His brothers. For the entirety of his life, up until his death, only in resurrection does it seem, was he able to have any kind of healthy relationship with his brothers. All they did was to mock him. Does that sound like a spiritual family that you want to be a part of? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a son who is sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmom. That could probably lead to a dysfunctional kind of family. Anyone want in on that? Two of the greatest missionaries that we see in the New Testament, a man named Paul and a man named Barnabas, they they are getting ready to go on a journey, but they have an argument about someone that they want to take along. It gets so heated that they decide they cannot work together again, and they never do again. These are brothers in ministry that are broken because of an argument that they cannot get past. Is that the way that spiritual family is supposed to be? Anyone want in on that kind of relationship? Like, the, like one, of, one of the things that we really have to increasingly get our minds around is that these are unbelievably broken image reflectors that we see in the Bible. And in the same way that these are men and women who are broken... And God uses them. Like, what that should inspire hope for is that God can use you because you are at least as broken as that. So in April, one of the things that I did in a sermon is I shared some stories. We looked at the end of Luke chapter 12. uh, And we talked, excuse me, Luke chapter 24. And we talked about these two men who met Jesus after his resurrection. Um, And their, their reflection on hearing and spending time with Jesus what, after he leaves them, it was like, could, like, we couldn't believe what our hearts were doing. It's like they were beating and pounding within us when we met Jesus. And so I told just a number of different stories of the ways in which like, I had met Jesus in, in the times that I have been here. Um, probably since about the time that I was eight years old. I and mean, one of the things that can be difficult about s- stories like that is that there's a whole other side to those kinds of stories, aren't there? Like you're seeing a piece of the miracle, but you aren't seeing the whole picture. Like there's always in each of us, there is that brokenness, there is that shatteredness. And so what I want to do today, like as it relates to spiritual family, is to share a little bit more about my story. That slice of the pie of the fall as it relates to spiritual family. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to share one or two, there are going to be a number of stories that I share, but I just want to say this. One or two of them are are like... I'm going to just drive by in like, it's not a breezy way, but I'm not going to give you lots of details about them. There are a lot of details, and I don't want the way in which I tell the story to make it sound like I'm being flippant. Because I'm not being flippant. But what I do want to say is that like, God is able to meet you in these places. And so we're going to bring this back around. I'm not sharing this for the sake of sharing it. We're going to come back at the end. Like many people... Um, you you can have a sense that you do not measure up to what your mom or your dad or your grandparent or your guardian wants you to be. Like there are things that you have wanted someone to say to you. There is security that you wanted to feel. And when that doesn't happen, there's a hairline fracture that can happen at a very young age that starts to open up. And I, I can say like that is certainly true for me. Uh, and can continue to play out today, even like as a 36-year-old, who like, tries to f- work into that. Like For me, there's brokenness that comes from, a, from abuse with the spiritual family. So I, w- I was sexually abused for three years by my mom's best friend's son, someone who would definitely, definitely, definitely be part of our spiritual family. So for third grade, for fourth grade, for fifth grade, and the beginning of sixth grade, Like, that was happening every week, over and over and over again. That was, like, one of my first memories of spiritual family. This is what it looks like. When I was in eighth grade, our new youth pastor was moving into his house, and I was meeting his son for the first time. Um, Within five minutes of meeting, like, this is just one of those, like, ridiculous stories. Within five minutes of meeting him, there was a kid who was, I was in eighth grade, he was in tenth grade, he was also much bigger than me. Shocking. Um... But also, he was eighth grade. He would hit puberty. I'm not going to go down that. <laughs> he, he decided, like, this would be a really, like, we're moving in, moving in the new youth pastor with his family. All the youth group is there. We're unloading the truck. He thought this would be a really good time to, like, pin me on the floor. He put my knees on my shoulders and to play the game where, like, you pretend to spit on the person and then to, like, suck it back up. But eventually, like, you don't suck it back up enough in time. And so everyone is watching is, like, the spit hits your face like in front of the entire youth group. And he was our pastor's son who did that. When I came home from Chicago at 22, I've talked a little bit about this in the past. Um, it can't be overstated the degree to which I burnt my life to the ground in every way. Like it, it, was, it had been scorched earth. There were virtually no relationships left. I, I had left school um, as an atheist. And I went to my parents' church uh, for a Sunday, basically just to like, to pacify them. Um, And there was a woman that I had known my entire life, and she, she just walks up to me, she stops, and she backhands me right across the face. And she says, Doug, you had better get your life together. And then she walked away. At age 24, I had to kick my best friend, who was also my roommate, out of our shared apartment because of something he'd done four years ago I was helping to lead a church and I was, I was teaching a group of people who had never really been taught how to hear the voice of God before like if you've been around me you know that learning to hear the voice of God is something I'm incredibly passionate about I, wanted, I, want every, I believe it is every Christian's birthright to hear the voice of their dad and so like what is normal for me is to go into a congregation and to teach people who don't know how to hear the voice of God how to hear God's voice But there are two families, so two couples, who start to flip out. Um, And the reason they were flipping out is this. I believe it is possible to hear God's voice, and I believe it is possible to hear God's voice in ways that aren't just reading the Bible. Because I read the Bible, and what it tells me are all these different stories of how God speaks outside of reading the Bible. Now, I believe God speaks primarily through his word, through the written word of God. They had a difference of opinion. And so for about a month, what they started to do is to send emails and text messages, and they started to get on Facebook, and they started to get on Twitter, and they would talk to anyone that would listen about how I was the worst thing that had ever happened to this church, and probably in the North American church. And for maybe a month they did this, spreading lies and accusations, and this is where it ended up. It ended up with me on a stage in a quote-unquote family forum in front of 600 people. Um, who were members, um, with them grabbing a microphone midway through and screaming to everyone in the room that, is that I was a wolf's in sheep's clothing and I was, in fact, the devil's minion. You laugh. That is a scattershot of some of the stories about like, the aftershocks of the fall and my experience with spiritual family. What is our question for tonight? I mean, it's like real simply. What's our question? Why do I have such a hard time giving myself to spiritual family? There's a very obvious answer. Because we have all been hurt by family in the past. We've all been hurt by family. You might be related to some of those people. So some people really, really struggle with this idea of having a father in heaven who loves them. Why? Because they don't have a father on earth who loves them. Or at least that they think loves them. Or didn't abandon them. But we have people that have related to us as aunts or uncles or grandparents or parents or cousins or brothers or sisters, whatever it is, and they have ripped our hearts out of our chest and then seem to do a little dance on top of it. And so it's just disingenuous to pretend like stuff like that, like every single person, every single person in this room has had experiences like what it is that I'm talking about. Some of us have had the experience like, of what it is that we've read about even in the scripture and the stories that we had in the Bible. Every story I've told, whether from my story or from the Bible, this is the, this is the catch. Every single one, they were people that would consider themselves to be the people of God. I didn't even share the stories of people in my life who didn't claim to know Jesus. And this is what we do to each other. You have stories like mine and many of them are much worse than what I've just shared. Some of you have stories of how people have done things like that who are part of Easton Fellowship. Some of you have stories of things that someone has done to you and that person was me. And I'm going to be honest, it seems a very perfectly reasonable response to say, forget that. I am never getting involved with spiritual family again. One of the, a famous quote that many of us have probably heard before um, is by Mahatma Gandhi, and he put it this way: "I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ." And I look at my story, and I can't make the argument that he's wrong. Only that his thought is incomplete. Like the, uh, this, the reason that we have so many issues as a people group within our country is because we actually don't look like Jesus. We actually do not represent him well. I'm I'm speaking largely. We don't represent him well in our country. People don't rub up against Christians. They're like, man, there's just something good about Jesus. That doesn't seem to happen very often. I'm not saying it never happens. But like when, when people talk like when you look at the statistics about the way that people think about Christians, you read it and I'm like, you're right, that's my story too and it can be very, very easy this is the this is the thing to get stuck in that place. It can get very, very easy to be the people whose primary identity as it relates to faith is to throw stones at people of our same faith and yeah I, I think Because this is, I think, as I look at my story, sorry, I got a little bit lost. I was going to go down a rabbit trail, decided not to. Um, The thought is incomplete. This is what our enemy wants. We as the shattered image reflectors are creatures of overreaction. He wants us to throw out the baby with the bathwater. That's what he wants. How many of you guys have ever been in love before? You can raise your hand or not raise your hand. If you're married, you probably should. <laughs> so we've got a, a large group of people who have been in love. How many people have ever had a broken heart before? Again, most people in this room. It is, it is rare. It is rare for people for, to, when they get their heart broken, then for the rest of their life to be like, I will never love love again and I will throw out love altogether. And so we, we even have this quote, it is better to have loved and to have lost than to have never loved at all. And so there, there's just something I think we think that, that's actually intuitive, that we can be hurt, but we can heal. What I haven't shared tonight are all the stories of glory and breakthrough and experiences of Eden. Eden. Because the Holy Spirit never lev- let me get give up on finding a healthy spiritual family, so like we, we, have, we always hear like just slight pictures of stories we don 't ever hear like the whole thing. so what you don 't know about is that like through a... I mean it would be difficult to describe the kind of miraculous work that would take this to happen, but like to be at the wedding of the person who sexually abused me. To speak at the funeral of the woman who came up and backhanded me. To, for for the, the roommate and the best friend that I had to throw out that I will see him in three weeks and I'll spend three days with him. The, the, the people like at this church who like just grabbed the mic and just started screaming at me. Like, there are people in relationships in that church. Though I would have done all of that quite differently, I'm still unbelievably close to that that youth pastor, like when he moved in, when that thing happened when I was in eighth grade, he, the son of the youth pastor, he was the best man in my wedding. Like, the, it isn't that there is always a happy ending, but there is always the possibility for healing. The way that Paul writes about it, he says, what God is able to do is he's able to take, like, these, these, these negative things that happen in our life and these beautiful things that happen in our life, and he's able to weave them together into a tapestry where it's not these individual strands, it's one thing called your life, and it's gorgeous. And it doesn't mean that you can't see the strands of hurt, or the strands of brokenness, or the strands of that past experience, but it means the, the miraculous thing of what God is able to do is that he can redeem everything. There is nothing that he can't redeem. So here's what I want you to hear tonight. Your past pain is real. But it doesn't have to keep you from experiencing Eden right now and into the future. It doesn't have to keep you from the dream that God has had of you since before the creation of the world. You might be a shattered image reflector, but your shatteredness doesn't have to be what defines you or your reality today. God is in the business of putting broken things back together Broken people, broken relationships, broken promises, broken dreams. And one day, it will be perfectly put back together. And it will never, ever break again. So the, the question is this. Do you want to start experiencing that today? The good news of Jesus is this. It's not that heaven is waiting for you. It's that you get to experience the breaking of heaven now. You are learning to live the heaven life now so that when you get to heaven, it's actually a really familiar place. It's like on Christmas morning, being given the most amazing gift and being like, never mind, I'll wait till I die. Open the gift. Open it. You don't have to wait. You can experience God putting it back together right now. And the one way, not the only way, the, a way that God will do that is by giving you an imperfect but very real spiritual family. This is, this is the funny thing. The, being part of a spiritual family, we're going to say this every week, being part of a spiritual family is the gospel made visible. The good news is that this is what God is doing. He is getting a bunch of broken image reflectors together and he is putting us back together. And we will still hurt each other. But we have the Holy Spirit, and he is the great healer. So if you think about this thing, imagine that there are actually like shards of glass coming out. So if I go to hug someone, I could cut them. Just by like being near them, I could cut them. Even if I don't mean to, I can do that. And so one of the things that we're going to look at next week is like, if we actually understand that that's who we are and what God is up to, what if there is a way that we could live as family together so that we could help in each other's healing? That God could take all of the brokenness and all of the shatteredness and that we need each other to be healed together. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. There's going to be a song that they sing and what I, what I want us to do is to just already even now prepare our hearts. We're going to be taking communion tonight. Uh, Greg is going to lead it in a few minutes. Uh, But what the Apostle Paul always says is um, that we need to take time and we need to actually reflect. Are are there things in our heart in particular that are causing us brokenness? Are there ways in which we are hurting each other? Are there ways in which we are are like distanced from God? Are there ways in which we are hurting ourselves right now? And that we would actually let the Lord minister to us and to speak to us. And so I I just want to invite you as they sing this song that we we would really be open and reflective to what the Holy Spirit wants to do and what it is that he wants to share. Let me pray and then they'll do that. Lord Jesus. Lord, you make all things new. Lord, we acknowledge that we are we're broken individuals, that we are broken people, and that hurt people hurt other people, and that we are desperately in need of your grace. Lord, I pray, just really burden tonight in particular for people who have been hurt by people in the name of Jesus. So Lord, we come before you and we, we fervently ask for your forgiveness. We ask that there would be grace given and forgiveness given. Lord, we ask that if there are any if there are any barriers or if there are anything that would that would keep us from the gift of spiritual family, that you would remove those things. If there, if there's healing that needs to happen, that your your grace through your Holy Spirit would be dispensed to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: We just thank you Lord thank you again that we don't just sing songs that that was an authentic declaration from us God we've decided to follow you just want to take one second here real quick Um, the Bible also says to whom much is given much is required And we are a blessed people that um, we have the gift of uh, Doug and Elizabeth Paul and their family being a part of this place. So my prayer for us today, um, again, this is a practice for Pastor Doug to tell the whole story. To be honest with you, as a pastor and a leader, I've done this for years. For a young man to be so courageous to tell his whole story is because he knows the power of actual deliverance and transformation. So if you are here today, and again, the brokenness, of churchianity and churchology and all this stuff, the pain of broken spiritual family has pressed you to be standoffish. You were given a gift today. Actually, it was given over 2,000 years ago, but you were reminded of it today. The God of heaven and earth is absolutely in love with you and he will take the brokenness of someone else's life to say to you you can be healed so please today don't leave this place if you need prayer if you need something I'll be glad to pray with you I encourage you this week to do business with God if you've already you know you know, you had your wall up oh man they talking about some spiritual family stuff I ain't trying to do that God has already released the host of his angels after you if I were you I would respond your arms are too short to box with God he's gonna get you so you might as well just lean on in. So let's just sing that just a little one more time. I have decided. And um, then we can fold up some chairs. Amen. Praise God. I have decided to follow. Oh, I, have decided. I have decided what you're gonna do. To I have decided to follow no, 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 no no, no, no I have decided what you gonna do come on, come on I to follow, to follow I, have I have decided to follow, to follow no 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 that No turning back. Go ahead and and look at the person beside you and say, no turning back now. No turning back. No turning back. Sorry, no turning back. God bless you. Have an amazing week. Thank you so much. We don't have people in every chair, so if you grab more than just your chair, you surely would help us out. Praise God.